This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. This is Live and Learn. I'm Troy Antic. Lawyers Richard Wee and Leslie Lim are here to address the controversial and abrupt closure of True Fitness and all the legal ramifications that come with it. Uh, Richard, Leslie, thank you for coming. Hi, Antic. Hi, Antic. So, uh, Leslie, can I begin with this question that you posed when we were talking about doing this show? of whether fitness is a sport and uh, is there a definition for what sport is? Um, let's take the uh, English uh, definition of, of what sport is. So sport is generally defined as an uh, athletic uh, activity which usually requires a certain level of skill or physical prowess. Uh, and of course, these days we see it happening more and more in a competitive nature we then look at the definition of fitness. Uh, fitness is basically a person's condition of being physically well uh, and healthy and fit. Uh, but I think today we are seeing the uh, amalgamation between sport and fitness getting uh, more and more. Uh, this is in particular, I think we can take CrossFit as an example. So CrossFit, uh, just to, to share with those who are not familiar with CrossFit, CrossFit is basically a uh, broad, general and inclusive fitness regime, uh, which was founded by an American by the name of Greg Glassman. Uh, and CrossFit is basically a combination of uh, Olympic weightlifting, uh, gymnastics and metabolic conditioning, which uh, many know as, as cardio. So what CrossFit has done is Greg Glassman founded uh, this company, created this fitness regime, and today it's become this uh, worldwide brand. And CrossFit has uh, organized for many, many years what is known as the CrossFit Games. So the CrossFit Games is also known as the, uh, the sport of fitness. Uh, and the CrossFit Game aims to actually uh, look for the fittest man and the fittest woman on earth by making them go through a series of uh, a tests, so to speak, to test their level of fitness. So here we see a very, very classic example of how fitness has actually transformed over the years to, to become a sport in itself. So that's very interesting, I think, because uh, in the olden days, or in the earlier days, we probably uh, see more of a difference between sport and recreational. That's usually the two different classifications. But now, more and more people are getting very, very involved in fitness. Uh, athletes, our national athletes, uh, have specific fitness regimes to support uh, their competitive nature of, of you know, the different sports that they do. So uh, that's, that's what we've been seeing in the, in the recent times. But it seems like... Um it has to have a competitive element to, to it in order for an activity to be defined as a sport? Not necessarily, I would say. Not necessarily. I think, um, I think that's the beauty about fitness. Uh, anyone uh, should be able to do it. Uh, I think also our Ministry of Youth and Sports, in particular uh, YB Kyrie, uh, a couple of years ago, he established Fit Malaysia. Uh, it was his brainchild where he was encouraging uh, all Malaysians to, to take up a, a active and healthier lifestyle just to get involved, go out there, do something. Doing something is better than doing nothing. Um, uh, in his, in his uh, vision and mission to truly transform Malaysia into a sporting nation rather than us, you know, just sitting down on a mama and, you know, watching football matches, why don't we go out there in the field and, and play sports? So uh, I do think uh, fitness and sports is something that is uh, for every single person out there. Richard, so on a practical level, what difference would it make for fitness to be considered a sport? Well, um I would say that for sports element of um, 
competition is always the first, as you, your question said, you know, the first element is there must be some sort of competition. But more importantly is the activity of uh, bodily exercise uh, and also the activity of uh, health, uh, which is generally the main purpose of sports. So actually, I think it's, it's fairly right time nowadays that... Uh, uh, fitness activities, uh, particularly fitness activities in wellness centers or in gyms, uh, be slowly but definitely acknowledged as a sports. And once that comes in, then uh, certain uh, administrative action may kick in. For example, uh, once a sport is recognized as an Olympic sport, uh, as we know, then you see that the uh, our local OCM. I will step in and, and manage the sports. Even non-Olympic sports is governed by OCM. What more when the sports is an Olympic sports? But when an activity becomes a sport, so like 20 years ago, jumping on rock was just an, an activity. Now, climbing a rock is a sport. Yep. Uh, there is an element of uh, competition and, and, and health activity. So gym, uh, some people call it gyming, uh, it's a favourite phrase uh, in Malaysia, is quite ready to become uh, an acknowledged sports. And once that comes in, I think the Ministry of Youth and Sports may step in, uh, the relevant state sports authorities uh, will step in uh, and, and, and govern it, govern the activity. Yeah. It has implications for how we file our taxes as well, right? Because... Uh, there's very specific definitions on what qualifies as a sporting equipment when you want to claim yes. tax deductible. Correct. Uh, it's listed under the Sports Development Act 1997. Mm. So that list, uh, I, I believe is under Schedule A, uh, but I believe that list has been growing over the years by perhaps a, a tax consultant would be a better... <laughs> per, Gym per, shoes. Can yeah. Be, yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So has anything similar to what happened with True Fitness happened before? Well, the recent True Fitness incident, um, okay, let's, let's put this right. Uh, over the last 20 years, there will always be uh, some health centers, stroke gym, stroke wellness center, which unfortunately didn't make it and close. Uh, but I think True Fitness, this franchise is one of the largest uh, gym uh, or fitness centers which unfortunately didn't make it in Malaysia. And I understand the same fit happened to the True Fitness Thailand. And in a recent uh, report in the local newspapers, it is reported that it was a requirement uh, uh, to close the Thai and Malaysian uh, franchise uh, in order for uh, certain activities to proceed with True Fitness in Singapore. And apparently it was announced in the stock, stock exchange. Um, so to answer your question, whether it has happened before, yes, in a far smaller scale, but True Fitness is the biggest one. Uh, to have fallen so far. Was everything legal? Oh, is that a trick question? Because <laughs> <laughs> it seems like there was a lot of outrage and people who um, have a lot of money invested, on, maybe not invested, um, who have put a lot of money down for um, lifetime memberships, for example, and there yeah. seems to be no recourse. Let's put it this way. Uh, and take, um, I think if any of us is a member of any club or any activity and one day you head over to your club, yeah. uh, a, a karaoke club or a singing club or whatever club, and you find a club close, yeah. you will be upset. That, that's, that's a natural reaction. But what happened in True Fitness was the way you closed. That, that was quite abrupt. The manner in which it was conveyed uh, to the members. 
logic, you know, if let's say I'm going to close down a company with members, because fitness centers are unique. It's a business with members. It's not like BFM is a business of a radio. You 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 run a radio uh, uh, station. There's no membership <laughs> in BFM, but uh, for a fitness center, uh, the lifeline of any fitness center is a membership. Right. Without members, you won't have a fitness center. So uh, it was the way they they closed it down, which I think was. Uh, the big uh, hue and cry, mm. uh, no proper notice, no proper uh, closure. Uh, the accounts was not properly done. In short, lack of transparency, shrouded in secrecy. Because I think there were screenshots in um, news reports as well that of the, of the contract um, that requires thirty day notice before they can do something like this, um, full closure. Isn't that black and white? Yes, from a from a legal perspective. Um, Basically, that would amount to a breach of contract. So the contract basically provides for the terms and conditions that governs the relationship between the two parties, between True Fitness and the member. And uh, if that is accurate, then uh, it may amount to a breach of contract uh, on the part of True Fitness. At the moment, until I think you may have been aware in the news report that uh, I think the members in Malaysia are taking class action. I think a group of lawyers have decided to help the members uh, on pro bono basis. And I understand recently the, there's been a memorandum we, uh, handed over to the High Commission of Singapore. Uh, I think that's because True Fitness's headquarters is in Singapore. And uh, I also read uh, reports that a class action is being initiated. In short, all the members will file one suit as one class to, to sue. And uh, basically, I, I suspect... Because we have no access to the information, uh, Leslie and I suspect is uh, the members will be seeking a refund right. for what they have paid. Yeah. Is a class action better as opposed to multiple lawsuits? Because each case is different. Uh, each members have different claims. Uh, that's that's a litigation question. Uh, I would say it's a strategic move. Some some parties would prefer to file their own suit. Uh, for example, when you sue a developer for uh, late delivery, some. House buyers may say, "Look, I'll, I'll go. I go on my own." You know, uh, but class action has its own benefit because you you speak in one voice, uh, you collate your documents as one, and the judge who hear your case would have to hear a very forceful voice of few hundred, few thousand members. Uh, can be chaotic, <laughs> strategically speaking, uh, but a lawyer will know what to do with it. I'm speaking today to lawyers Richard Wee and Leslie Lim about True Fitness shutdown. Uh, I'll ask them about what can be done to strengthen consumer protection after the break. BFM 89.9. You're listening to Live and Learn. I'm Troy Antic. My guests today are lawyers Richard Wee and Leslie Lim. We're talking about what can be done to prevent another fiasco like the one we saw with True Fitness. Um, Richard, a lot of people have complained that True Fitness was still recruiting, actively recruiting two days, signing up members two days before they shut down. Is this not considered fraud? I think when any consumer is approached to sign up membership like this and then finding out 48 hours later that the company is closed, then your instinctive reaction will be, hey, I got cheated. Uh, but to say that the whole matter, the whole transaction was shrouded with secrecy is more accurate. You know, I think, I think what True Fitness could have done better and could have addressed better was uh, the communication to the members. And perhaps uh, even uh, not 
recruit <laughs> new members two days before they they close. I, I think that definitely could have been done better. So now, even if let's say True Fitness was was, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm always going to try to assume good things, huh? That they they were indeed being honest and genuine. That they were trying to do something about it. But the way they went about it, unfortunately, now have uh, invited this kind of reaction to them. So. Uh, I would think the members who sign up two days before those group of members, they definitely have a very good case against True Fitness. Yeah. So one option that has been mooted uh, to seek a redress is through the Malaysian Consumer Claims Tribunal. Can you tell me more about what this uh, tribunal is? Well, I must say it's an interesting area. Um, that is more towards consumer rights. And the Minister for uh, the Domestic Trade Cooperative and Consumerism, Dato Hamza, uh, he was quoted by local papers to say that uh, the members of True Fitness can claim up to 25,000 ringgit from the Malaysian Consumer Claims Tribunal. Now, to be honest with you, I'm not very sure how that will develop. Uh, there's uh, even suggestion from the newspaper reports that it looks like the ministry is going to refund up to 25,000 ringgit. I, I, I'm going to assume that the report may not be accurate. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense that the minister pay up. Uh, but... Uh, we will need to see how that develops But basically it's a, under consumer law There are many areas of law in warfare uh, Contract law to govern the contractual relationship Between the fitness centre and the member There's a contract Then there is the issue of a consumer law That you know, I'm a consumer I have certain expectations Like you, know, you buy fried rice You expect rice to come instead of something else And then there's a corporate law Where the Company law will govern the operation of the company running the business of True Fitness. Then there's also issues of health and security where local authorities like DBKL and MPPJ, they will govern the uh, the health and security of the fitness centres located in shopping malls and whatever. Uh, and we here, here also talk about the aspects of sports law, the governance of the activity of gym. So to answer your question, that part is actually consumer law. And this consumer aspects is still yet to develop for this case. We, we, we are also still looking at it and see, hmm, how, how is this going to go about? But if it's good, then it would be very helpful to uh, not just this group of members, but all future consumers in a similar case. Right. So it's a, it's a very welcome action towards, very good reaction. It's like how our deposits in banks are guaranteed up to a quarter of a million ringgit. Yes, something like that. Yeah. Okay. And... So, what can True Fitness be sued for then? Well, I think uh, the first thing a member will sue is that I want my money back, whatever I've paid. Uh, I don't think they can claim for money they have not paid. Uh, Logic will dictate that you can only get back what you pay. That's number one. Number two, uh, deposits that have been paid, any other fees that have been paid for certain specific activity, like I sign up for yoga, I sign up for certain dance class. I may want it back. Uh, workers, the people who work in uh, True Fitness, huge group of them, they will want to sue for their um, uh, salaries. And then you may have read in the reports of uh, laundry service providers and whatnot. Uh, these are the creditors of uh, True Fitness. They will want to sue for their bills, their outstanding bills. So True Fitness will be sued for... All kinds of things, you know. So, would the money go towards those creditors first or the customers? Ah, that, that, that's interesting. Um, I think the an area of law which is open for the members would be the law of trust. Uh, they, they may be able to 
persuade a judge to declare that monies paid by them are actually held on trust by true fitness and refunded to them now as a resulting trust because the purpose and intent of uh, that trust has failed. What is a trust? Uh, I, as a member, paid X amount of ringgit to True Fitness to use your facility. Now that your facility is closed, the purpose of my payment has collapsed and you are still holding my money. So I want to take that money out first before the liquidators step in to take that money. Because eventually, I think the company may be wound up. So uh, Wound up meaning bankrupt? Uh, wound up like uh, liquidated, okay. closed down, right. yeah. So uh, in order to avoid the liquidator to take my membership money away from me, I may want to go to court and take that out first. And this idea in a legal argument is called a trust argument. Mm. Uh, resulting trust uh, or constructive trust, either one of this. So uh, I think members have that option. Of course, the other ready option, as I explained it quite a long this not earlier, is contract law. Lah. They, they can go for contract, breach of contract, uh, blah, blah, blah. So quite a lot of things option open to them. I think another concern that was raised with this as well was if the company was already liquidated and there's no more money left, then can they go after the owners of the company? Mm, that one would, would have... Uh, the members would have to persuade the court that there is some element of fraud. Uh, they would have to go uh, after the director themselves. That would be a very difficult task. Uh, and hard to comment. We don't have evidence before us. Okay. So... um. Leslie, is there anything in sports law that would be helpful to them, to its former True Fitness members? Um, flowing from what uh, Richard was saying earlier, I think one of the reasons why uh, members such as True Fitness members or grieved members uh, have to fall back on things like uh, consumer law or, or contract law, uh, it's because currently the fitness industry is self-regulated. Uh, unfortunately, in Malaysia, there isn't a... Uh, one unifying body governing such fitness centres, uh, it could have a little bit to do with the fact that uh, fitness uh, is a business entity uh, in Malaysia. Corporations and organisations like True Fitness start off as a business uh, company. But what we can see in some other countries, uh, I'll just draw two examples. Uh, one is South Africa. Uh, they have a organisation called Fitness South Africa and it's actually established under the Ministry for Sport and Recreation and there is even an, an Act of Parliament uh, regarding this. It's called the National Sport and Recreation Act and this was established in 1998 and all fitness establishments uh, in South Africa fall under this Act and fitness establishments can come in different levels. You can be the first level of uh, fitness, fitness establishments, which means you are the direct service provider. So we're talking about gyms, fitness centres, wellness centres. So they, they provide direct service to the consumers. Then we have the second level, which are secondary service providers who are involved in, say, uh, uh, athletic clothes, you know, the gym clothes, uh, those kind of, uh, or shoes for that matter. So those are the secondary levels. They're and regulated then, as well. Yes, they are also regulated. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, there is a registry for fitness professionals. So say you're a personal trainer, you have the relevant certification and your certificate may come from, say, uh, America. The most popular is ACE, uh, American Council of Exercise. So most personal trainers have an ACE certificate. But having the certificate is not enough. You then need to be registered as a fitness professional. So I think 
the best part about having such a, uh, a regulation in place is that certain disciplinary action can be taken against uh, all these all these parties which fall under uh, the Act. Uh, not only that, fitness establishments are given accreditation that would ensure that certain uh, level of industry standards are met. Uh, and then the best part is also um, dispute resolution. When a dispute arises among parties, the Act then governs how such disputes are to take place. Um, in contrast, uh, I like to speak about Fitness Australia. So Fitness Australia is also very interesting. They are the basically the top uh, health and fitness uh, organisation in Australia, recognised by the government of, of Australia. But Fitness Australia is actually a public company limited by guarantee. But even though they are a public company, they are recognised by the government of Malaysia because of what they do. Um, they basically become that middle person between uh, the stakeholders and all the parties uh, or even members that are involved in the fitness industry. Uh, and they become that middle person between those those parties and the government of Australia. They speak on behalf of the needs and the rules and regulations that are needed uh, to govern to ensure that at the end of the day, the members and the stakeholders are always going to be protected, uh, to have policies and guidelines in place. Because I think it's it, we cannot wait until something goes wrong. Uh, before we like, oh, what should we do now? Um, it's important to have rules and regulations in place. Risk management, it's something that should always be there to safeguard uh, the consumers. So I think those are, are two very interesting uh, models that, that we can look at in terms of having uh, some sort of a, a governing body or even just a, a more like rules and regulations in place. Then members will feel more assured when they, you know, they sign up for a gym, uh, just putting their money in the gym, they investing that money in the gym, they feel more assured, thinking that, okay, if anything were to go wrong, I know that step one, two, three, four, five will kick into place because of the rules one, two, three, four, five that have already been placed there. So that's the kind of security I think members do deserve. Uh, I mean, being a, a, you know, a gym member myself, I think, I think it's quite a normal, a basic, in, I think what's important if we can have a some sort of uh, governing body to govern uh, the sporting activity of fitness, we can actually try to prevent another closure. You see, everything that we have spoken so far, if you notice and take, is post the fact. That means uh, the fitness center or the wellness center has closed, have closed. And what can members do? Actually, that's not what members really want. They they just want to go to the gym. Yeah. They they're not interested to go to court. You know. Uh, or to go to a tribunal. Uh, I'm not demeaning the court and tribunal, but the fact is no gym member who signed up membership has ever thought of, I want to go to court one day. So if we can have a governing body like this uh, who may impose like rules to uh, sign up insurance, that uh, fitness centres is required to have insurance for this kind of uh, uh, events you know, to avoid closure, yada, yada. The members, when they sign up, they feel confident. They say, okay, look, there's this prefect who's, who will keep an eye hover over fitness centres and will try its best to prevent another closure. And that's what we really want, to prevent a closure. Eventually, if the fitness centre is really doing very badly, it will close no matter what you do. right? Uh, if it's badly managed or uh, location is bad or people just don't like the place, then it will, it will close. Yep. But if we don't have such a governing body, some kind of authority to govern it, it gets even more acute. Because you can close even faster, 
Uh, I think it's something in future, not now, of course. Now it'll be too knee-jerk reaction if we, if such a uh, authority is set up. I think lots of study must be done. Do we need such an authority? It means spending more public money to run an authority. And who governs them? Who is the prefect or the prefect? So mm-hmm. we have Fitness Malaysia, for example, to govern all these centres. Who who's above Fitness Malaysia? The Ministry of Trade, Minister of Youth, which one? And all these ministries are also very, already very busy. So we have to also balance that. Uh, public money is involved. Um, so a lot to think about. A lot to think about. Um, Leslie, in this Australian model, mm-hmm. where Fitness Australia is a public company, you said, right? Yes. Is that not another form of self-regulation? Where, and, how, and how do they make money if they are a company that is the referee for all the fitness companies? So what's very interesting about uh, Fitness Australia is that... Uh, Businesses that are involved uh, in the uh, fitness industry, uh, they can actually choose. And this actually varies uh, according to different jurisdictions uh, across Australia. So in, say, Queensland and Western Australia, it is actually uh, mandatory for businesses to adhere by Fitness Australia's code of practice. And then in other jurisdictions, it's part mandatory, part voluntary. uh, And in some other jurisdictions is then not uh, not mandatory at all. But you see, the upside to that is businesses who choose to be a member of Fitness Australia send a very strong message to their members that they have uh, expressly chosen to adhere by this code of practice. They promise their members that this is the level and the standards that they are going to uphold to for the sake of their members. Uh, and then this again gels with the fact that because Fitness Australia is recognised by uh, the Government of Australia, the, de- the Consumer Department, Department of Fair Trading and whatnot. So uh, that's how the whole system is basically operating. Uh, it's again uh, what the uh, businesses, uh, th- that security that the businesses can offer to their members. Uh, and Fitness Australia is basically helping to put in place just certain standards and certain rules and regulations, uh, all for the benefit of the members truly. In the fitness industry, there are no um, regulating body, unlike badminton or football, for example, that have their associations. Is that something that can be modelled upon? Yeah, something we can consider. Um, I think people tend to forget that uh, there are many, many activities which are owned by companies. At the same time, uh, the activity of the company is governed by somebody else. Take, for example, um, airline. Uh, The airline companies are governed by the uh, the SSM, Suruhanja uh, Sharikat Malaysia, right? And uh, But the business of aviation is governed by, for example, DCA. Uh, BFM, for example, is governed by the MCMC. So having gyms, uh, the company who own the gyms, uh, fitness centres, of course, will be governed by the uh, SSM. But uh, the activity of gym can always be governed by such a proposed uh, authority, which Leslie and I are suggesting that we maybe it's time to have something like that. So there is actually there is room for it. Uh, but as I said very much earlier, we have to look at other things: yeah. uh, public yeah. costs, money, whether it's necessary to have it. Uh, we have so many authorities in Malaysia already. So there's a counter argument: do we still need one more? A lot of consideration. Uh, Leslie, do you have a Final message. It's unfortunate that this situation has occurred. Um, certainly, I think, as Richard mentioned earlier, this has happened in the past. 
perhaps to smaller gyms that we are not aware of. Uh, but I think this this issue has taken uh, uh, a big impact uh, because of the volume of people that are involved and also the the manner in which uh, it has been handled. Uh, legally speaking, I, I there are perhaps certain uphill, uh, you know, uphill uh, climbs that the members or the aggrieved members are going to have to face. Uh, I do wish them uh, the best of luck. Uh, and perhaps moving forward, uh, it will be interesting to see how this area develops uh, because uh, more and more uh, gyms, uh, wellness centres are being developed. I think almost uh, every housing area has one uh, these days. So the, the question then becomes how, how, how can we avoid such a situation ever happening again? Richard? Um, I would say this uh, for us um, it's important for from a sporting point of view the governance of the sports is properly managed we've seen it happening in all the other international organisations the IOC and FIFA very very uh, developed area of uh, sports governance integrity and all this comes down to one thing uh, confidence in the sports Uh, you need to uh, give consumers members uh, confidence that when they sign up a uh, fitness or wellness or gym membership, that chances are tomorrow when they come back, that center is still there. So um, uh, there's no perfect science to maintain this, but uh, maybe uh, if if the relevant authority uh, really to conduct a study into this and how to govern and how to manage it and looking at how the other countries are doing it, we can try to take that idea and put it here. It's a good activity. I think many people in the city, they love uh, gymming, that phrase. And uh, we should encourage it. Richard Leslie, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks, Utek. You. You've been listening to Live and Learn BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.